ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله so we reached the ayah in kitab at-tawhid where Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala says ittakhadhu ahbarahum wa ruhbanahum arbaban min dunillah that they took their priests and their rabbis as gods besides Allah in this particular ayah it is talking about how the Christians and the Jews with the rabbis and the priests, they took them as gods besides Allah. Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, how did this occur? What is the meaning that they took them as gods besides Allah? بِأَيِّ شَيْءٍ اتَّخَذُوهُمْ أَرْبَابًا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ فَسَّرَ ذَلِكَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ لِعَدِي بْنِ حَاتِمْ الطَّائِ the Prophet ﷺ explained that to Adi ibn Hatim al-Ta'i. لَمَّا جَاءَ إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَقَرَأَ عَلَيْهِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ اِتَّخَذُوا أَحْبَارَهُمْ وَرُهْبَانَهُمْ أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ When the Prophet ﷺ recited to him this ayah, then it was confusing to him. اِسْتَشْكَلَهَا عَدِي He was not upon understanding regarding it. لِأَنَّهُ كَانَ نَصْرَانِيًّا Because he used to be a Christian himself. He used to be a Christian himself. فقال, so he said to the Prophet ﷺ, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ لَسْنَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ Our Messenger of Allah, we don't worship them. We didn't used to worship them. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, أَلَيْسُوا يُحَرِّمُونَ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهِ do they not make haram what Allah has made halal and so you follow them in that and also make it haram? Do they not make haram that which Allah has actually made halal and you follow them in those rulings and therefore also make those affairs haram when actually Allah has made them halal? Qala He said yes, we do that. قَالْ أَلَيْسُوا يَحِلُّونَ مَا حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ فَتَحِلُّونَ The Prophet said to him, Do they not also make halal? Do they not also make halal that which Allah has made haram? And you follow them in that? I.e. that you also therefore make it halal even though Allah has made it haram simply because the rabbis and the priests they tell you. He said again, Bala, yes, we used to do that. قَالْ فَتِلْكَ عِبَادَتُهُمْ The Prophet ﷺ said to him, so that is the worship of them. This is how you worship them. That you would take their rulings of halal and haram over the rulings of Allah in halal and haram. So when they obeyed their leaders in that way, it indicated that they were obeying the creation in terms of what is halal and haram, even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had not made those affairs halal or haram.
So in that way, they had taken them as a Rabb, as a Lord, besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what the scholars, they call the shirk of ta'ah, the shirk of obedience. The shirk of obedience. Because they committed this shirk by obeying their rulers, their leaders, their rabbis, their monks, over and above that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had revealed to them. Meaning that they will take the rulings of their righteous or their religious personalities rather. They will take their rulings on the haram even though Allah had made it halal. And they will take their rulings on the halal even though Allah had made it haram. And therefore this was their act of taking them as gods or lords besides Allah. So the point of this narration is to highlight. أَنْ لَا إِلَّا اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى That the obedience is only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَأَنَّ مَنْ أَطَاعَ أَحَدًا فِي تَحْلِيلِ مَا حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ أو تَحْرِيمِ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهِ فَقَدْ اتَّخَذَهُ رَبًّا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ That whomsoever obeys anybody in creation, in terms of making halal, in terms of making halal that which Allah has made haram, or making haram that which Allah has made halal, then that person has committed a type of shirk. He has taken now lords besides Allah, taking his rulings from others besides Allah. لكن إذا كان يعتقد أن تحليل الحرام وتحريم الحلال أمر جائز فهذا شرك أكبر يخرجه من الملة. If this person believes that making halal that which Allah has made haram, or making haram that which Allah has made halal is something perfectly okay and permissible to do, then that is an act of major shirk, exiting from the fold of the religion. The one who believes it is okay and correct and permissible to make halal that which Allah has made haram, and to make haram that which Allah has made halal, then that is shirk akbar. أَمَّا إِذَا لَمْ يَعْتَقِدْ جَوَازَ هَذَا بَلْ يَعْتَقِدْ أَنَّ التَّحْلِيلَ وَالتَّحْرِيمَ حَقٌّ لِلَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَلَكِنَّهُ فَعَلَهُ مِنْ بَابِ الْهَوَى أَوْ مِنْ بَابِ تَحْسِيلِ بَعْضِ الْمَصَالِحِ فَهَذِهِ مَعْصِيَةٌ عَظِيمَةٌ لَكِنَّهَا لَا تَصِلُ إِلَى حَدِّ الشِّرْكِ الْأَكْبَرِ فَطَاعَةُ الْمَخْلُوقِينَ فِي تَحْلِيلِ الْحَرَامِ وَتَحْرِيمِ الْحَلَالِ لَا تَجُوزُ أَبَدًا لكن فيها تفصيل من حيث الكفر والشرك وعدم ذلك if a person however follows these religious personalities of theirs in their religions in determining what is halal and haram in opposition to what Allah has declared as halal and haram. However, the person knows that the declaration of what is halal and what is haram, that is the right of Allah. The person knows that is the right of Allah. And it is not the right of the creation. Yet he still does it and he still follows them out of desires or out of some possible benefit for himself, some worldly gain for himself, then that is not major shirk. That would still be a type of shirk, but it would not be the major shirk, it would be a great sin. It would be a great sin for him to do that. But as long as in his aqidah he knew that they do not have the right to do that, but from his desires and from his weakness and desiring worldly gain and benefit, 
he follows them in making halal that which is haram, or haram that which is halal, then that person is a great sinner for that, but it would not be shirk, uh, exiting from the fold of Islam, major shirk. Whereas a person who believes that it is permissible and correct, then that person in his aqidah, he has got to the level where it would be considered as major shirk. وَالْحَاصِلُ مِنْ هَذَا كُلِّهِ أَنَّ الْآيَةَ الْكَرِيمَةَ دَلَّتْ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ مِنْ تَفْصِيرَ التَّوْحِيدِ وَشَهَادَةِ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ أَنْ لَا يُطَاعَةَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ فِي الْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ وَمَنْ أَطَاعَ مَخْلُوقًا فِي, تح في التَّحْلِيلِ وَالتَّحْرِيمِ فَقَدْ اتَّخَذَهُ رَبًّا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ عز وجل. So the ayah indicates that you do not follow anybody in terms of making halal or making haram except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The legislation, the rulings, the sharia, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in determining what is halal and determining what is haram. Then after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in another ayah, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ That there are some people who take partners alongside Allah. There are some people who take partners alongside Allah. يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ And they love them just as they love Allah. There are some people who make partners alongside Allah. And they love these other partners just as they love Allah. In this ayah then, it says, some people do that. Which people is the ayah talking about? Which people make partners alongside Allah and then love them? Generally, the mushrikun. The ayah is talking about the mushrikun, the people of shirk. The mushrikun who take partners alongside Allah and they love these partners that they make for Allah. The mushrikun. So the ayah is talking about the mushrikun. That they take besides Allah partners alongside Allah. Partners alongside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they love them just as they love Allah. So the mushrikun, the polytheists, the people of shirk, اتخذوا من الأحجار والأشجار والأصنام شركاء لله سووهم بالله في المحبة. The mushrikeen, they used to take the trees and the stones and the stars and the moon and the graves, all types of things. They used to take all of those things and associate them to Allah as partners. They used to consider all of these affairs to be deities alongside Allah. And they used to love them. They used to love all of these other affairs that they used to consider to be deities alongside Allah. The stars, the moon, the trees, the stones. They used to love them, partners alongside Allah as they made them. So they used to love their idols just as they used to love Allah. The mushrikeen, their love was split between their idols and between Allah. Their love was split between the idols and between Allah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the next part of the ayah, 
وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ That those who believe, those who are upon iman, the mu'minun, they are greater in their love for Allah. The mushrikun, they loved Allah, but they loved their deities also. Then Allah says, as for the believers, they are greater in their love for Allah. What does this mean that the believers are greater than the, than the mushrikeen in their love for Allah? Two possible meanings. One of them is that the believers are greater in their love for Allah because the love of the believers for Allah is a pure love. It is not split between Allah and anybody else. It is not split into sections between Allah and other deities. Rather, the believers, their love is pure and sincere for Allah. So no doubt, their love is greater for Allah than the mushrikeen, because the mushrikeen, their love for Allah was split. A portion for Allah, and a portion for their deities. So no doubt, the believers are greater in their love, because it is pure and sincere to Allah. Another meaning of the ayah is, a comparison that the disbelievers, the mushrikeen, they loved their idols. They loved their idols. However, the believers, their love for Allah, the strength of the love of the believers for Allah is greater than the strength of the love of the mushrikeen for their idols. The mushrikeen loved their idols. They loved their idols. The believers love Allah, and the believers, the manner and how they love Allah is stronger than even the mushrikeen, their love for their own idols. So the believers love Allah more than the mushrikeen love their own idols. So in both ways, the love of the believers, it is greater for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the love of the disbelievers, the mushrikun for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فدلت الآية الكريمة على أن من تفسير لا إله إلا الله وتفسير التوحيد إفراد الله بالمحبة وأن لا يحب معه غيره غيره محبة عباده بل يفرد لله يفرد الله جل وعلا بالمحبة ولا يحب معه غيره محبة العبادة. So from the explanation of لا إله إلا الله is that a person makes his love sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, pure to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not that his love is split between Allah and other deities and other affairs. That is why Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, it is understood and it is known that Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, in all of the worship that they do, in every obedience and every act, of worship to Allah, it is built upon three affairs. Fear and hope, they balance between fear and hope, hoping for the mercy of Allah, but at the same time fearing the punishment of Allah. And with love. Love is at the head of the affair. Worship, it is to submit yourself to Allah in humility. To submit yourself to Allah with that humbleness, 
sincere and pure with your love for Allah, and then with fear and hope. So the worship is built upon love for Allah and fear and hope. So here, the meaning of La ilaha illallah, one of its meanings is that a person singles out his love, purifies his love for Allah alone, not associated alongside other partners. Then it's mentioned in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet ﷺ said, "Man qala la ilaha illallah wa kafara bima yu'badu min dunillah haruma maluhu wa damuhu wa hisabuhu ala Allah azza wa jal." That whomsoever says la ilaha illallah, that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. And he disbelieves in all of those other affairs that are worshipped besides Allah. All of those idols and statues and deities, he disbelieves in all of them. Then in that case, his blood and his wealth, or his wealth and his blood, they become impermissible for you. Meaning it is not permissible to take the blood and the wealth of that person, he is a Muslim. And his accountability will be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is now a believer, a Muslim, and his accountability is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here the hadith indicates certain affairs. Firstly, it says, Whomsoever says, La ilaha illallah. Whomsoever says, La ilaha illallah. We've already mentioned many times before that the meaning of this is, not just to say La ilaha illallah with your tongue, it is not just about pronouncing the words and uttering them upon your tongue, rather it is about three affairs as the scholars say, it is about knowing the meaning in your heart, knowing the meaning of it in your heart, knowing what La ilaha illallah means and what it necessitates, that is one part of it, belief, and knowing in your heart the reality of La ilaha illallah is one part. Saying it upon your tongue, uttering it, pronouncing it is another part. The third part, acting upon that then. Worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the testification of Tawheed La ilaha illallah. So the first part here it says, Whomsoever says La ilaha illallah. And secondly, he disbelieves in all of that which is worshipped besides Allah. And yakfura bima yu'badu min dunillah. He disbelieves in all of that which is worshipped besides Allah. فَإِذَا تَحَقَّقَ هَذَانِ الشَّيْئَانِ حَرُمَ مَالُهُ وَدَمُهُ لِأَنَّهُ صَارَ مُسْلِمًا وَالْمُسْلِمُ يَحْرُمُ دَمُهُ وَمَالُهُ So if he does that, he is upon the tawheed, he pronounces the tawheed, the kalimah, and he disbelieves in all of that which is worshipped besides Allah, then he is a Muslim, and his blood and his wealth is haram for you to take, and his accountability will be upon Allah. Meaning, إِنْ كَانَ صَادِقًا فِي قَوْلِ هَذِهِ الْكَلِمَةِ فَإِنَّهُ يَكُونُ مُسْلِمًا حَقًّا If he is truthful upon that testimony of Tawheed, if he is truthful upon that, then he is in reality a Muslim, inwardly and outwardly, and he will enter paradise. وَإِن كَانَ قَالَهَا ظَاهِرًا فَقَطْ فَهَذَهُ النِّفَقْ 
As for if a person says that openly and apparently only, without believing it in his heart, then that is what nifat is, hypocrisy. That is the hypocrisy. But his blood and his wealth is saved. Even if he says it out of the hypocrisy, then that is what we know of him, that he is uttering the shahada, that he is pronouncing that, and pronouncing apparently the disbelief in that which is worshipped besides Allah. So his blood and his wealth is protected. But then if he was upon nifaq with regards to that affair, then as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ فِي الدَّرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ that the munafiqeen will be in the lowest pits of the fire. Those who are upon hypocrisy. And we've mentioned before that hypocrisy is two types. What are the two general types of hypocrisy? The two types of nifaq. One is an nifaq, the nifaq which is amali. And the other one, the nifaq which is fil-i'tiqat. One type of hypocrisy is with regards to belief. Another type of hypocrisy is with regards to actions. The hypocrisy in belief is the hypocrisy that exits you from the fold of Islam. And that is like the hypocrisy of the munafiqeen. Those who outwardly pretended to be upon Islam, but inwardly they did not believe at all. So their hypocrisy was a hypocrisy of belief in of itself. They didn't actually accept Islam or Tawheed or believe in that, but they openly said it. So their hypocrisy was in their belief from the very foundation. And that is major hypocrisy, exit you from Islam. The second type of hypocrisy is the hypocrisy of actions. The hypocrisy of actions. And this type of hypocrisy, then as the scholars have mentioned, the Muslims, a Muslim can fall into it. A Muslim may fall into the hypocrisy of actions. And the hypocrisy of actions, it is when a Muslim performs a certain action that is from the actions of the munafiqeen. It is not an action deserving or befitting or suitable or appropriate of a Muslim to conduct or engage in. It is from the despicable and dispraiseworthy characteristics of the munafiqeen. But a Muslim may fall into that characteristic, he may fall into that action. For example, as the Prophet ﷺ said, lying, the one who speaks, he lies. The one who is entrusted with something, he breaks that trust. The one who has been given some faithfulness, then he is treacherous, betrays you. These types of characteristics are characteristics of the munafiqeen. So a person who behaves in that way, he is somebody who betrays others, somebody who lies to others, somebody who is unfaithful and treacherous to others. These types of characteristics are characteristics of the munafiqeen that you are displaying. But that does not mean that the Muslim who performs those characteristics of the munafiqeen is now a munafiq in terms of being outside of the fold of Islam, being a kafir. The person is a sinner for having done those things. He is a sinner and disobedient for having displayed and performed those characteristics of lying and betrayal, which are characteristics of the munafiqeen. But this is nifaq of your actions. It is not nifaq of belief. 
The nifaq of belief was like the munafiqeen who in their hearts don't actually even accept Islam. Just showing it openly pretending. That is the major nifaq. As for a Muslim who is upon Islam, upon Tawheed, but he falls into these errors of lying and betrayal, etc., then he has displayed characteristics of nifaq, actions of nifaq, but that is the type which is the nifaq of actions, and that does not exit you, it does not exit you from the fold of Islam. So here, hisabuhu ala Allah, his accountability will be with Allah, meaning that the person, if he is truthful, then he will be upon paradise, within paradise, and if he was lying with that, upon the nifaq of i'tiqad, then he will be in the fire in the lowest pits. Shaykh al-Fawzan then carries on to say, فَمَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ كَفَفْنَا عَنْهُ Whomsoever says لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Then we stop ourselves from him. We do not take his blood, his wealth, etc. We are prohibited now from that person. He is a Muslim. دَمُهُ وَمَالُهُ يعني حرمنا. We are now prohibited from his wealth and his blood. أَمَّا دُخُولُهُ الْجَنَّةِ As for him entering paradise or not, وَكَوْنُهُ مُؤْمِنًا حَقًّا And whether he is a mu'min in reality, then that is an affair known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. هُوَ الَّذِي يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْقُلُوبِ He is the one that knows what is in the hearts of the people. وَيُجَازِي عَلَيْهَا And he gives the recompense upon that. وَحِسَابُهُ عَلَى اللَّهِ and his accountability, this person's accountability will be with Allah. But as long as he says that testification and proclaims to disbelieve in all of that which is worship besides Allah, upon the kalima of tawheed, then as far as we are concerned, his blood and his wealth is protected. And then his affair, uh, his affair is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The shaykh then says in conclusion, Al-Hasil, Anna hadha al-hadith, بَيَّنَ مَعْنَ التَّوْحِيدِ That this hadith, it clarifies to you the meaning of tawheed further. وَمَعْنَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And the meaning of لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّهُ أَنُّطْقُ بِالشَّهَادَةِ مَعَ الْكُفْرِ بِمَا يُعْبَدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ وَالْبَرَاءَةُ مِنْهُ That it is the utterance of the shahada, it is the pronunciation of the shahada, and your innocence of shirk and the people of shirk to declare your innocence of all of that which is worshipped besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَمَّا لَوْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَهُوَ لَا يَكْفُرُ بِمَا يُعْبِدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ بِأَنْ كَانَ يَعْبُدُ الْقُبُورِ وَيَدْعُ الْأَوْلِيَاءِ وَالْأَضْرِحَةِ فَهَذَا لَمْ يَكْفُرُ بِمَا يُعْبِدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ As for somebody who says, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ proclaims that. But at the same time, he continues to go to the graves and make dua there and worship there and continues to worship the awliya of Allah as he claims, or the shrines and the tombs and all of these affairs, then this person has not disbelieved in that which is worshipped besides Allah. So that is the point here, that a person who proclaims to be upon Tawheed, then he needs to be upon the meaning of Tawheed in reality, worshipping Allah sincerely, purely alone, and disassociating and disbelieving in all forms of uh, directing any worship to others besides Allah. Not to simply say that he is upon Tawheed, but then to continue to engage in activities that are worshipped to others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
Then after that, we move on to the next chapter. Those previous chapters now, they have explained to you some of the affairs regarding the virtues of Tawheed. They've explained to you the importance of Tawheed. They've explained to you the greatness of Tawheed regarding, for example, the 70,000 who enter paradise without accountability or prior punishment. And regarding the fear of shirk, how Ibrahim alayhi salam made dua to protect Allah, for him to, for Allah to protect him and his offspring from worshipping the idols or falling into shirk. So once you have become aware of those affairs regarding Tawheed and shirk, and you have become aware of its importance, to the extent that the Prophet ﷺ would tell the companions to make sure, wherever they go, they begin with Tawheed first. Like the narration of Mu'adh ibn Jabal when he was sent to Yemen. Like the narration of Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu anhum, when he was sent to the battle with the flag. He was told to start with La ilaha illallah first. Then after that the affair can continue as it continues. So this all shows to you the importance of Tawheed. Now the Shaykh is going to begin by mentioning certain activities that people engage in, certain things that people do, which are actually things that are shirk. And they are things that cause a weakness in your Tawheed. To the extent that perhaps some of these activities, they could exit you from the fold of Islam. And on other occasions, depending on your aqidah, then they may not exit you from Islam, yet you are still upon grave danger for having performed such activities. So now, chapter by chapter, the Shaykh is going to mention various things that a person needs to be aware of. Because these things, they are things that cause weakness and break your tawheed. So now, the first chapter here. بَابُ مِنَ الشِّرْكِ لُبْسُ الْحَلْقَةِ وَالْخَيْطِ وَنَحْوِهِمَا لِرَفْعِ الْبَلَى أَوْ دَفْعِهِ The chapter regarding from shirk, from the types of things that are shirk, is wearing a band or a ring or some type of string to remove harm, to remove any harm coming to you or to remove any harm after it has come to you. To stop any harm coming to you or to remove harm that has already come to you. Raf'ul bala, meaning to remove some harm that may have befallen you, daf'uhu, to stop some harm coming to you in the first place. Through wearing bands, through wearing rings, through wearing strings, all of these different things that people wear, believing that these have the ability to stop the evil eye coming to you. These have the ability to protect you from any magic coming to you. Or if you have the evil eye upon you, wear the string, wear the band, they will help to remove the evil eye from you. So now the shaykh is going to talk about this topic of wearing these types of items, believing that they will prevent the evil coming to you or that they will remove the evil from you if it has already come to you. So from the types of shirk, as Shaykh Al-Fawzan now says, 
he says what the people do in terms of hanging things, whether it is upon your own body, strings and necklaces and bands etc. on your own body, or hanging things on your cars, people hang certain types of amulets, certain types of strings, the good luck charms and whatever else they call them, or hanging things on your house, like those suspicions that they have, the horseshoe that they put on the door of the house, saying that this will protect any evil coming to you, stop it from coming to you. All of these different things that people they do in the olden times, and even perhaps now, they hang strings and things around the necks of cows and camels, saying that this will protect the cows and the camels and the cattle from evil coming to them. So all of these things which are strung onto, hung onto yourself, your clothes, to your house, to your car, to your animals, all of these various things that the people they hang on or they tie on, brands or, or necklaces or strings, then all of these things they do, believing that it will stop the evil eye or that it will protect you and your home. Then this is the topic of this particular chapter that the Shaykh will now explain. Sheikh Al-Fawzan says these types of activities, this is a habit which is from the habit of Jahiliyyah. This is a habit from the habits of Jahiliyyah. And it is still present in some of the people today. This habit which is from the habits of Jahiliyyah. Rather the Shaykh says it even increases how much of this type of stuff people do, it even increases because of ignorance. They do more and more of hanging things here, there, everywhere because of their ignorance. The Shaykh says they hang these things, these strings, etc. on their own bodies. And on the bodies of their kids, on their wrists, on their necks, etc. On their cars. والدكاكين, the shops, والبيوت, the houses. قصدهم من ذلك أن هذه الأشياء تدفع عنهم الشرور والمحاذير. Their intent and their belief in this is that these things will stop any evil coming to that item, the car, the the house, the child themselves. وهذا من الشرك لأنه تعلق على غير الله. And this is from the types of shirk, because that person is now attached to other than Allah. That person, his heart is now attached to other than Allah. And that is something known. And the narrations will come and they will clarify that further. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one who will remove any harm. He is the one who will remove any harm. وَهُوَ الَّذِي إِذَا أَرَادَ بِعَبْدِهِ شَيْئًا فَلَا بُدَّ أَنْ يَقَعْ إِمَّا فِي نَفْسِهِ أَوْ فِي مَالِهِ أَوْ فِي أَهْلِهِ فَلَا أَحَدَ يَدْفَعُ And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees that any affair should occur to you, or to your wealth, or to your children, or to anything, then if Allah decrees that to occur, nobody will be able to stop it. No one will be able to stop it if Allah decrees that to occur. And if Allah stops something from occurring, 
Nobody will be able to do it. As Allah mentioned in the Quran, مَا يَفْتَحِ اللَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ رَحْمَةٍ فَلَا مُمْسِكَ لَهُ That whatever Allah opens up to the people in terms of mercy, nobody can stop that mercy of Allah coming to the people. If Allah decrees the mercy upon the people, then nobody is going to stop that mercy of Allah coming. وَمَا يُمْسِكُ فَلَا مُرْسِلَ لَهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ And whatever Allah, وَمَا يُمْسِكُ Whatever Allah holds back with, then nobody will be able to retrieve that and take it and give it to the people. If Allah decrees something to occur, it will occur. And if Allah decrees something not to occur, then it will not occur. As is the belief of Ahl Sunnah, مَا شَاءَ كَانْ وَمَا لَمْ يَشَاءَ لَمْ يَكُنْ Whatever Allah wills will occur. And whatever Allah does not will, then it will not occur. الْأَمْرُ كُلُّهُ بِيَدِ اللَّهِ So these affairs, this affair, all of it is in the hands of Allah. It is in the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَيَجِبُ أَن تَتَعَلَّقَ الْقُلُوبِ بِاللَّهِ So it is obligatory, binding upon you that your hearts are connected to Allah. وَأَن تُخْلِصَ الْعِبَادَةَ لِلَّهِ And that you make your worship sincerely for Allah. وَأَن لَا يَخَافَ إِلَّا مِنَ اللَّهِ And that a person does not fear, does not fear from the evils in the eye and whatever, except from Allah. That your fear is in Allah, not from the people in the creation. فَمَنْ تَعَلَّقَ قَلْبَهُ بِاللَّهِ وَوَحَّدَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَضُرُّهُ شَيْءٌ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ So whomsoever attaches his heart to Allah and makes the tawheed of Allah, then nothing will harm that person except by the permission of Allah, by the decree of Allah. Nobody else from the creation or any evil or evil eye or anything or magic will come to you except by the decree of Allah. Because your heart now is attached to Allah, you are making the tawheed of Allah, then you do not fear the creation. If anything occurs, it will only be by the decree of Allah, not by the power of creation in any way, of course. أَمَّا مَنْ تَعَلَّقَ عَلَىٰ غَيْرِ اللَّهِ As for the one who is connected to other than Allah, to these strings and whatever else, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves that person to his own devices. Allah leaves that person to his piece of string. Leaves that person to his necklace. Leaves that person to his band. Leaves him to whatever that person is attaching himself to. So that is a great loss, no doubt. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves that person to his own devices, that is certainly a great loss. So the first ayah here then in this particular chapter. قَوْلُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ قُلْ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَادَنِيَ اللَّهُ بِذُرٍّ هَلْ هُنَّ كَاشِفَاتُ ذُرِّهِ Say, look at what you call upon besides Allah. If Allah wanted some harm for me, would they be able to stop that? If Allah wanted some harm for me, would they be able to stop it? And then the ayah continues, أَوْ أَرَادَنِي بِرَحْمَةٍ هَلْ هُنَّ مُمْسِكَاتُ رَحْمَتِهِ Or if Allah wanted to decree some mercy upon me, would they be able to stop the mercy coming to me? So if Allah decreed some affair to occur to me, that is disliked to me, would they be able to stop that? Or if Allah dec- decreed some affair to me of goodness, of mercy, would they be able to stop that? They would not be able to do anything of that sort. قُلْ حَسْبِيَ Allah. Say, Allah is sufficient for me. عَلَيْهِ يَتَوَكَّلُ الْمُتَوَكِّلُونَ Upon Allah, the people put their trust and dependence in those who put their trust and dependence in Allah. So this ayah from Surah Zumar 
is a great ayah which explains Tawheed and it nullifies shirk. It explains Tawheed and it nullifies shirk. So in the ayah it says, أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Have you seen what you are calling upon besides Allah? This was talking about the mushrikeen. They were calling upon the trees and they were calling upon the stones and they were calling upon the graves and the shrines and the tombs. So the ayah says, have you seen what you call upon all these things besides Allah? All these things that you are making your dua to, all of these things that you are asking to. Have you seen all of these things? Are they able to answer to you? Some harm has come to you and you're making dua to these things. Can they remove that harm from you? Are they able to answer what you are asking of them? قُلْ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَادَنِي اللَّهُ If Allah wanted to decrease some harm, meaning uh, something disliked to you, poverty for example, you lose your wealth, or illness, you lose your health, or a death within your relatives, something of this nature occurs to you, in أَرَادَنِي اللَّهُ then would these idols, these statues, these deities, these others who you call upon, would they be able to remove that difficulty and harm that Allah has decreed? Would they be the ones who would come and remove this difficulty? Do they have the ability and the power to shun the decree of Allah? So this is clearly a rebuttal of them and a clear refutation of them that they would not be able to do that whatsoever. In another ayah, Allah says, Call upon those who you claim besides Allah. They do not control. They do not control the removal of any harm or to change your affair in any way. They do not control anything. So when the ayah says, هَلْ هُنَّ Are they going to remove the harm? It's a refutation. It's a refutation of them. Are they going to remove the harm? And everybody knows the answer. Of course they're not. They all know the answer is no, they cannot. These idols cannot hear you, they cannot answer you. These statues, these people in the graves, the trees, the stones, they know that these things cannot hear you and they cannot remove any difficulty which comes to you. And that's why, as you will be aware, the mushrikeen, when they were in severe threat and danger, and their lives were at risk, in those extreme circumstances, then they would make dua to Allah alone sincerely. When they're out and their ships are sinking in the ocean, the waves are coming upon them, they're about to die, then they would call upon Allah sincerely. Because they knew. They knew at that time of difficulty and distress, their other idols can't do anything. But when they come back to land and Allah saves them, it says in the Quran, then they begin to commit shirk once again. When they are at ease, then they go off committing shirk again. But when in that time of difficulty, they know that these idols and statues cannot do anything, so then they call upon Allah. So Allah says, قُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهِ Say, Allah is sufficient for me. Allah is enough for me. I place my affairs with Allah, not with these statues or with these uh, strings or necklaces or rings or bands. All of these things that people believe they will give you good luck or they will remove the harm, they will stop the evil eye. وَعَلَيْهِ عَلَيْهِ يَتَوَكَّلُ الْمُتَوَكِّلُونَ That the people, the ones who have their trust in Allah, they put their trust in Allah, the mutawakkilun. They do not put their trust into these strings or these necklaces or these rings. And it's mentioned in a hadith 
واعلم أن الخلق لو اجتمعوا على أن يضروك بشيء If all of the people they got together Firstly, على أن ينفعوك بشيء لم ينفعوك إلا بشيء قد كتبه الله لك If all of the people got together to benefit you with something Then they would not be able to benefit you with anything Unless Allah had decreed that All of the people they come together and they make their efforts together They unite to do something good for you They wouldn't be able to If it was not decreed by Allah that this good would come to you and the same hadith says, وَلَوْ أَنَّ النَّاسَ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَذُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَذُرُّوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ And if all of the people they got together to harm you with something, then they would not be able to harm you except by something which Allah has decreed upon you. فَالْأُمُورُ كُلُّهَا مَرْجِعُهَا إِلَى اللَّهِ So we understand that all of the affairs, everything which occurs, it returns back to Allah. It is not going to be the string or the good luck charm or the horseshoe on your house, the strings on the cars or the cattle. That is not what is going to prevent the harm or remove the harm. Rather, all of the affairs, they are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next hadith, عن عمران بن حسين رضي الله عنه, أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم رأى رجلا في يده حلقة من صفر. فقال ما هذا؟ قال من الواهنة. فقال انزعها فإنها لا تزيدك إلا وهنا فإنك لو مت وهي عليك ما أفلحت أبدا In this hadith the Prophet ﷺ saw a man wearing a copper band A bracelet, a band So the Prophet ﷺ said to him what is this? He said I'm wearing this due to an uh, illness in my hand A weakness in my hand A physical problem in his hand He said I'm wearing this because it will help in the recovery of my hand, in the strengthening of my hand. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Inza'ha, remove it, get rid of it. Inza'ha in Arabic, it doesn't just mean take it off, it means get rid of it, rip it off, inza'ha. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, it will not increase you except in more weakness. And if you die with this on, then you will never be successful. And that hadith, Insha'Allah Ta'ala is where we will begin with next week in the explanation of it regarding what this narration meant and why the Prophet said that to the man and the explanation of that insha'Allah next week at 7.30 p.m. Uh, will continue.